Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Edition of All Marine Radio here on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Hope you had a good weekend. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. Yep, all you moms out there. Hope you had a good Mother's Day and everybody got correct. That's right. Screw up Mother's Day. <laughs> good luck with the rest of the year. Um,. Uh, for the next couple days, uh, you're going to listen to testimony from the House Armed Service Committee, and I think it's important that you listen to it in its entirety, okay? So you'll hear uh, the segment happened in, in two, uh, two parts. Uh, the first part is two parents. And so you're going to hear their testimony today. And um, it's my house. Um, And the reason I think that you need to listen to the testimony in its entirety is because at the end of it, um, I think that you need to sit for a second and think, so what problem are we solving here? And again, this is my inner Will Costantini. And so what exactly is the problem that we're solving here? And um, and I have my own thoughts about that. But I think 
what you hear um, go on, uh, and you'll hear the testimony in the next two days, that's the biggest question. What is the problem? And I would tell you this up front, and then I'll lay out how this will proceed. But I would lay out up front that I don't I don't think General Thomas is right. This is a culture of ground safety, blah, 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 blah. I don't think that's right. The AAV has been in the Marine Corps inventory since 1972. We have never, ever, ever had an accident. I wouldn't even use the word accident. Had an event like this. Ever. So why did it happen now? The AAV, right? And you heard General Olson say 20 years of fighting in the desert. You know, well, let me tell you, for the most part, the Marine Corps hasn't really participated since 2014, I think. So that would be what, going on seven years? AVs left Iraq in 2005, 2006. When it was concluded that their flat hull was not the right situation for Marines to be in, given the threat. And that was after 15 Marines were killed in the back of an AAV. So they've been back. So why is that fleet of vehicles in such bad condition? If they've been back for so long, all you got to do is maintain them. Congress appropriates the money. They're supposed to be maintained. If you got a problem with them, there's people charged with, you know, <clears throat> there's a thing called the maintenance management officer, the MMO, who deals specifically in this kind of stuff. The battalion has one. The regiment has one. The division has one. The MEF has one. And your job is, I think it's material management, if I'm not mistaken. You make sure shit's ready. And if there's systemic problems, right, you're the person that's supposed to see it, identify it, and fix it. That's an actual job. So it's been in the inventory since 1972. We've never had an, a, a, an event like this. People have specific responsibilities to spot this stuff and fix it. And it hasn't been to war since 2005, 2006. So what's the problem? And I would tell you everything that you do as a leader in the Marine Corps, every piece of training that you undergo, has you have to balance realism, right, and training value, knowing that these young men and women might be sent in harm's way. So putting them in training events that prepare them, you have a moral responsibility to them and their families to do that. And two, safety. Safety is a constant in everything you do. So how does safety all of a sudden become something cavalier? How does maintenance become something cavalier? How does training evaluation become something cavalier? I'm not exactly sure, but let me tell you, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with the culture of safety. I think there's other reasons for it. They go deeper into issues in the DOD 
and certainly the way they've manifested themselves in the United States Marine Corps. So I'll say that first. Um, the way, so what's going to happen is you're going to hear two, two parents today. Uh, the first one is named Peter Vienna. He is the father of Navy Hospital Corpsman Bobby Nem. Last name spelled G-N-E-M. All right, so you're going to hear Peter Vienna. The second member of the first panel is Peter Ostrowski. He is the father of PFC Jack Ostrowski. Okay, and um, you're going to hear what they say. Now, that I, again, I think it's really important that you listen to their testimony in its entirety. Okay, and then tomorrow you will hear the second panel that the House Armed Services Committee Subcommittee on Readiness heard as they had a hearing entitled the AAV Mishap Investigation, How to Build a Culture of Safety to Avoid Preventable Training Accidents. Okay. So, again, I take issue even to the title of the of the of the hearing but I get it so the second panel and you'll hear these three gentlemen tomorrow is the assistant commandant of the marine corps general gary thomas it is the commander of naval surface forces vice admiral roy kitchener and you will hear major general greg olson staff director of the marine corps so you will hear those three. And it's it's very interesting in what you'll hear tomorrow that two, at least two, maybe three of the people on this committee served in the Marine Corps and, and fought out of AAVs. Okay, so their questions are very, very interesting. So... Um, and then on Wednesday, we'll do kind of a special edition of the Mensa Brothers to talk about what is the problem. And we'll talk about this testimony specifically and what people got out of the testimony and um, and what specifically is the problem that, that the Marine Corps should be dealing with. Okay, not what they say, but what actually is the problem they should be dealing with. Okay. And to that, again, I would reference Walt Yates's article, his appearance, uh, the interview I did with him here, where Walt talks about recommendations that come out of investigations that get sidetracked because services, specifically the Marine Corps, do not want to spend the money on facilities and uh, and people that have to um, train people in those facilities to get the throughput so that everybody becomes proficient in underwater egress. Okay. I'd rec- if you haven't listened to that interview, listen to it. How an institution who see, who gets these recommendations, right. Doesn't actually change because it will cost them too much money. Okay. I had somebody tell me, you want to know why aviation safety is a big deal? Because the aviation platform is really expensive. 
It's not like aviators value human life. No. Those planes cost a lot of money, and they're a big deal. That's why aviation safety is a big deal. Okay? Ground safety, trucks don't cost shit. Interesting, right? Interesting. So on that note, and so so then Thursday we'll do the normal Mensa. But uh, on Wednesday what I'm hoping to do is a special Mensa edition where we'll have a guest, which we've never done before. So uh, that should be interesting if we, if we can pull it off. So good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. This is dedicated um, to two parents who participated in this panel, uh, Peter Vienna, who's the father of uh, Doc Bobby Nem, and his wife, who he said wanted to join them but could not because she emotionally couldn't do it. And to Peter Ostrowski and the Ostrowski family, father of PFC Jack Ostrowski, and to all the other families, the seven other families who lost Marines in this incident. So this is dedicated to you. You know, uh, none of us can imagine what you've gone through. And um, we hope you're doing it as well as you can do. And we hope that all these efforts lead to something good and not something swept under the rug, not something made to go away, right? And not something that goes down the path that Walt Yates talks about.
You're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think. And you don't say it honestly and bluntly. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. For this campus had prepared him well. <clears throat> I'm very confident that, thank you very much. <clears throat> if this was vodka, it'd be a lot better speech. <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. So I'm not even gonna do the weather today. Um, so without further ado, this is testimony from a week ago today, on Monday, May third. It's um in front of the House Armed Services Committee, subcommittee on readiness. All right. And it's entitled, The AAV Mishap Investigation, How to Build a Culture of Safety and Avoid Preventable Training Accidents. Um, And again, you're going to hear two people uh, testify. One is Peter Vienna, and the other one is Peter Ostrowski. Both are parents of one of a sailor and one of a Marine that were killed in this training event that happened on, I believe, July 31st of last year. So, uh, without further ado, and, and again, I would encourage you, if you're like, oh, I don't like to listen to testimony, now, listen to this and listen to the testimony tomorrow. Um, if you're at all a fan of, of All Marine Radio and the issues that go on, these go to the core of, <clears throat> of the issues that the DOD is dealing with. So, with that uh, said, I will... Get out of the way. I would like now to welcome <clears throat> and thank our witnesses. First, Mr. Peter, Mr. Pete Vienna, the father of Navy Hospital Corpsman Third Class Christopher Nim, and secondly, Mr. Peter Ostrovsky, the father of Private First Class Jack Ostrovsky, United States Marine Corps. Mr. Vienna, if you would like to start, uh, hit your mute button, please. You're good to go. Great. Good morning, esteemed members of the House Subcommittee. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about our son, Christopher Doc Nem. His family and friends called him Bobby. Uh, I wish you could also see and hear from my wife today. She's chosen to allow me to speak on her behalf because she would be unable to do so without breaking down. I can tell you this, her raw emotion and the effect she would have on this panel would be deeply moving. We've all known others should be heard because today we are not only mourning our son, but also we mourn eight other families that are navigating through this pain. Nancy became a single mother when Bob was still an infant. She struggled to give him and his two sisters the best possible life she could. I came to their lives when Bobby was 14 years old. What I witnessed was the most incredible mother-son relationship. Uh, The two of them literally lived for each other. Bobby was a natural athlete, excelling in judo, jujitsu, never once losing a match. 
As a high school student athlete, he played football and basketball, voted team captain, as well as most inspirational on his varsity basketball team. In both basketball and jiu-jitsu, he volunteered his free time to mentor the younger boys. He was truly a sensei and coach's dream. He was the best of us, the favorite of his grandparents, aunts, uncles, and all his cousins who looked up to him as a role model. I can say without prejudice that Bobby lives positively in his years than most people have. Bobby, along with eight others, are dead now. And here's just a short list of some of the reasons given in the investigation. 40-year-old AAVs designed without safety in mind that came off the deadline, end of life, deemed not seaworthy, should never even have been put back in the water. No real safety boat for this training exercise. Both Marine and Navy's own policy states two safe boats for every six AAVs in the water. There were 13 that day. No emergency egress training. They knew they were sinking for quite some time, yet they were found with their full body armor still on, some even with their helmets and rifles still strapped to the bodies. They obviously had no idea what to do. No radio contact or eyes on the AAVs. Our boys' boat was sinking for 45 minutes while chasing the set that was traveling away and, con and conducting helicopter exercises. All 23 gallons of transmission fluid was lost on the trip to the island. Only six gallons were available to replace it. Yet that AAV was sent back into the water to try and reach the Somerset. An AAV crew that did not follow its own emergency SOPs, had they done so, the AAV still would have sunk, but not with our boys in it. I point that back at leadership's failed duty to properly train and certify that crew. Just another result of a terrible lack of readiness. His mother, his surviving sisters, Jasmine and Jade, his fiance, who received her surprise engagement ring in a box seven months after he was killed, have not been able to accept this loss, especially now knowing how incredibly preventable it was. Losing her only son has broken her wife. She's suffering both mentally and physically. For me, well, frankly, for the last nine months, I've been on suicide watch. I had no control over losing my son, but I refused to lose my wife. I also refused to call what happened on July 30th a mishap, the definition of which is an unlucky accident. We've all seen that night investigation, so we know that what actually occurred was a predictable outcome resulting from the reckless disregard for human life by a command that ignored its own safety standards and operational procedures, putting mission above the young lives they were supposed to protect. Not a combat mission. This was just training. And if I hear one more time we had to train like we fight, I think my head will explode. Because for decades now, it's been true that every year the military loses more lives in training than they do in combat. Before I go any further, I wish to say for the record that even after all the recklessness and gross negligence that took our only son, my wife and I are still not anti-military. On the contrary, we believe we owe it to our son to do what we can to affect the change that leads to a better, stronger, and safer military. We actually want to help. It was yet another example of what should be expected under any institution that is allowed to self-police and self-punish, allowed to deflect blame away from those at the top, all while hiding behind an antiquated law that protects it from the accountability of answering legally to those it recklessly harms. No possibility for a day in court resulting in our troops becoming second-class citizens the moment they swear in. Yes, I'm speaking of the Ferris Doctrine. 
And I would argue that its existence is what will continue to foster this culture across all the military branches where medical malpractice, sexual assault, and training deaths that far outpace combat deaths will continue to plague our precious troops and the civilian families that love them. To the Marine and Navy command that our sons down, as well as the subcommittee members questioning them today, I want me to ask you, what if your son or daughter is on that AAV? Our son will never come home. Look, how do we keep other families from suffering this unbearable pain? Please don't allow our night to die in vain. Thank you. Mr. Vienna, thank you very much for your testimony. Uh, and we certainly attempt to understand the depth of your sorrow. I'd like now to turn to uh, Peter Ostrovsky. Peter. Chairman Garamendi, Ranking Member Lamborn, and distinguished members of the Subcommittee on Readiness and non-committee members, on behalf of my entire family, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you about our fallen son, Jack Ryan Ostrovsky, who was a Lance Corporal and 20 years old when he drowned with eight other Marines and a Navy corpsman during a preventable AAV incident off of San Clemente Island, California. Our son, Jack Ryan, and his fraternal twin brother Samuel were born prematurely at 26 weeks and were hospitalized for two and a half months in the neonatal intensive care unit along with another month in a local hospital hospital nursery before they came home to us. They were both fighters from the get-go. My wife Lynn Ostrovsky gave up her career as a flight attendant with a major airline to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm a retired federal law enforcement officer who dedicated 31 years of my professional life to service with the Treasury Department and the Department of Homeland Security. As a teenager, Jack Ryan was a very loving boy. He loved swimming, mountain biking, hiking, snowboarding, marksmanship training, and military history. A year after graduating from high school and after we moved as a family to Bend, Oregon, Jack Ryan decided to enlist in the Marine Corps. He told us that he wanted to serve his country and do things that he could not do in the civilian world. He wanted to start at the bottom as a grunt and become a Navy, uh, a Marine Corps rifleman. Jack Ryan loved being a Marine, and we loved that he loved being a Marine. With only 13 months of service, he was already talking about re-enlisting and his dream of pursuing a billet in special operations and making the military his lifelong career. We will always be proud of Jack Ryan. He followed in the footsteps of his great-grandfather, Bill Fishman, who served in the Navy, and his grandfather, Jack Fishman, who served in the Army, along with becoming the first Ostrovsky to serve in the U.S. military. His commanding officer described Jack Ryan as a future leader and a standout who would seek out fellow Marines that were struggling and offer them a kind word and a smile. A week before the AAV incident, Jack Ryan told me about his concerns with the AAVs and that they sink all the time. It was hard for me to believe that statement, but now I know there was more to the story that was the basis for his concern. The loss of Jack Ryan has destroyed our family's future plans. Jack Ryan was supposed to be the next leader of our family who was going to create his own legacy of success through his military career. We were looking forward to watching Jack Jack Ryan build a family of his own 
and blessing us with grandchildren. Jack Ryan was also supposed to look after his brother Samuel, who has suffered from a lifelong educational disability. When the Marine Corps briefed Lynn and I on the results of the investigation, we were shocked and disappointed by the top-down recklessness, gross negligence, and lack of duty of care for our son and all of the Marines and sailors in his AAV company. While reviewing the investigation report, many issues stood out to me that are a cause for concern and questions. Namely, why were deadline AAVs deemed to be in poor condition and not seaworthy assigned to a unit that would be deployed as America's maritime response force? Why did my son's AAV company not initiate any of the relevant prerequisite egress training, which would have better prepared him and the others for such an emergency? Why did the pre-exercise confirmation briefing and its sections of risk to mission and risk to force not mention any of the waterborne risks associated with utilizing AAVs that were in poor condition and embarking Marines that were not adequately trained. But yet, the only identified risk was assessed to be unlikely to occur and was that there could be a casualty to the assault force during embarkation-debarkation operations on San Clemente Island and on board the USS Somerset. As an experienced federal investigator who's planned, conducted, and approved many high-risk law enforcement operations, the lack of detail in the briefing tells me one of two things. Either it was intentional, as an alleged cover-up for the lack of readiness or the exercise planners were not qualified to appropriately assess risk, or perhaps both. In my opinion, the entire AAB company was placed at extreme risk due to poor equipment, inadequate training, and a poorly coordinated and monitored unsafe training exercise. We expect that the Marine Corps and Navy hold accountable from top down all those who are responsible for this preventable catastrophic incident through all of the means that are that are available at their disposal and with transparency. We also expect that U.S. military systems of accountability and liability be modernized as a way to ensure that every day moving forward, military officers fully appreciate and know the realities of their burden of command so that there's no place for recklessness and gross negligence in the U.S. Marine Corps and the U.S. Navy. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to uh, express my deep appreciation and sympathy uh, to our two presenters. In your presentation, you not only spoke to the loss that you have had, but you also spoke to the challenge that the Marine Corps has to create a culture of safety. Uh, I'm going to forego my own questions and would ask my colleagues to, to keep their questions short. And really, I want to get as quickly as possible to the issues that our two witnesses have presented, the problems that the Marine Corps and the Navy exhibited in this tragedy. However, uh, the gavel sheet is as follows. Uh, I'm going to withhold my questions. Uh, Mr. Lamborn, uh, Mr. Courtney, Mr. Wilson, and then back to Ms. Spear in that order. 
So, uh, Mr. Lamborn, I turn to you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and to the two fathers and any of the other parents who were also in this hearing, um, obviously your two sons were among our nation's finest. There's no question about that. And uh, we owe it to you to get to the bottom of this so that uh, you can take solace in the fact that the end result of this will be that these kinds of accidents will be more prevented in the future than would have otherwise been the case. And, and uh, that there is some solace in that. Uh, I'll just ask one very brief question per uh, what you just said, Mr. Chairman. Uh, do either of you have a comment on the lines of communication that you had with the Marine Corps after the incident up until today? Any, any comments that would be helpful to us to know about? And you'll have, you'll have to unmute your uh, computer. Yeah. Mr. Vianna? Yes, am I unmuted? Yes, we can hear you. Yes, please go ahead. Okay. Um, speaking to that direct question, um, I can tell you that we have filed some complaints about some of the uh, some of the things that we experienced um, working with the casualty office um, through the, through our Navy um, casualty office. I, I would just suggest that. Um, in the future, you, they take a look at what kind of an aptitude a person would have that's going to be assigned to walking a family through this type of, a, of madness. Um, we I, I've expressed those concerns, and and I believe they're they're starting to be handled. I won't go into detail, but also, you know, with an investigation like this, we're talking about you know, finding out that your son's passed away, starting to get, not hearing anything back other than, yeah, we don't know what to tell you. The, the, the water was mad day and um, just started taking on water. And started, that's basically the story we got. Um, and then bits and pieces starting to come out where there's questions, but there's nine months of silence from the other side. It, it, it's maddening for a family and then to have them show up at your home nine months later and drop 2000 page report in your lap um, and tell you that they're sorry and then leave you to navigate that. Um, and these nine families to navigate that after the fact was very difficult. And, and I can tell you that you know, we pretty much relived it. It's, it's as if going through being notified that your son was killed twice. But now with the second time, there's the confusion and anger and this drive to try to fix it. So that's kind of where we're left. Um, you know, this investigation took quite some time. So and I don't doubt that the, the gentleman that came, the colonel and the lieutenant colonel that came to our house were sincere um, and wanted to help. In fact, the, the the colonel that came and presented to us told us that one of the reasons he was chosen was he was going to be leading the nest, and he needed to learn. That's great. Um, they proceeded to tell us about you know what what they were going to do to fix the, these these specific problems, and my answer was this. 
Thank you. I'm glad you're going to try to fix these specific problems. But what about all the other mishaps? What about all the, the shoddy equipment? What about all the other terrible non-training that's received and terrible decisions that are made? How are you going to fix that? The reality is um, this issue is a cultural issue. It's a non-safety cultural issue within the Marines and obviously partly in the Navy as well. I think it goes across all military branches. Well, Mr. Mr. Vienna, that's precisely what this hearing is going to try to accomplish. Mr. Mustafsky, I don't know if you have anything to add. If not, to answer the question. Uh, yes, I do. Um, our, our experience was different. Our uh, casualty assistance calls officer who is a Marine first sergeant uh, from the uh, reserve center in uh, Springfield, Oregon, uh, did a great job. Uh, I think he's a, a, a highly uh, seasoned and qualified Marine, very empathetic, uh, very sensitive to our needs. So uh, we did have a positive uh, experience with him. And uh, so we do appreciate that, but we do recognize that, um, that that job is hard. I'm, I'm sure it is. You know, for our the first sergeant that we worked with, it was the first time that he um, had to do a casualty assistance call, and he he did a great job. So we we very much appreciate him and everything that he's done for us. Thank you, Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chairman. I yield back the balance of my time. Thank you, uh, Mr. Courtney. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, and I just want to uh, join you and Doug in thanking uh, our two witnesses um, this morning, and uh, just want to share, the, you know, how much I uh, appreciate the powerful testimony that you presented this morning, and uh, I think challenged all of us on this subcommittee and full committee of armed services um, to to do more in, in terms of action. I would just want to share with you that. Uh, unfortunately, this has not been the first uh, time that uh, the subcommittee has experienced um, a hearing like this. And uh, I chair the Sea Power subcommittee. We jointly did the uh, investigation and follow up in the wake of McCain and Fitzgerald collisions that took place in 2015. Uh, there were at least a half dozen hearings which occurred in the wake of that. And I want you to know that as a result of that, um, there actually were structural statutory changes that was made in terms of the surface fleet. Uh, deployment system. Uh, we put safety measures, safety breaks um, into the law. Uh, again, Senator John McCain, it was actually one of his final um, milestone uh, moments when he chaired the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee and we worked together on the conference committee. We put 17, excuse me, it was almost 50 statutory changes in terms of just the way um, decisions uh, were handled in terms of deploying ships for um, sailors that were not certified and fully trained up and equipment that was not ready. Um, it did not extend um, to the type of um, deployments that we're uh, discussing here today. Um, but I, I want you to know that, um, you, know, the, you know, we actually have the ability to make real change um, in terms of the National Defense Authorization Act. And I know uh, Chairman Garamendi and Doug, and, and certainly in Sea Power, we, we are going to do everything in our power to make sure that these um, hearings in your testimony actually is going to result in real action. 
um, tangible action uh, in the wake. And I, I just want to just finally note that, um, you know, Mr. Vienna, uh, pointing to the Ferris Doctrine, uh, thank you for raising that issue. Uh, I think that is an antiquated um, part of the law that goes back to a Supreme Court decision in the 1950s, which really needs to be um, updated and modernized, as Mr. Ostrowski said. I mean, we, we need to, to really, um, you know, as lawmakers, make some real modifications and changes to the system to reflect um, you know, the, the complexity of the technology and, frankly, some of the, the um, uh, overuse of outdated equipment. So thank you to both of you. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I would yield back. Thank you, Mr. Courtney. I'm Mr. Wilson. Thank you, Chairman John Garamondi and Ranking Member Doug Lambert for uh, convening this extraordinarily important hearing. And uh, I am just so grateful uh, that we have uh, the witnesses before us today. I want to thank you. Uh, what uh, both of you, Mr. Vienna, Mr. Ostrowski, uh, both of you, uh, your testimony is heartfelt. And what a tribute to your sons and, and uh, your families should be so proud. I'm grateful for both of you being here today. And with your families, and no service members should have a similar example uh, of loss of life as we have heard today. Uh, as the father of four sons who have served in the armed forces, one still in the Navy right now, I particularly identify uh, with uh, what has occurred. And then I want to assure you that I look forward to working with Chairman Garamondi, with the ranking member Doug Lambert, uh, on whatever we can do to uh, assist you. Uh, in fact, sadly, uh, I've had uh, personal loss uh, in the military. Uh, a former congressional staff member of my Marine, Lieutenant Colonel Train McLeod, tragically was killed in an accident uh, in Iraq. Uh, and then uh, in 2006, and then in 1978, um, it still has affected our family. Uh, my uh, late brother-in-law, Marine Captain Tim Dusenberry, was killed in a helicopter accident in Greece. And uh, with that, uh, a question for uh, uh, Mr. Vienna and then Mr. Ostrowski, uh, and, and it really is parallel to what um, Ranking Member Lambert has asked, um, but were there shortfalls uh, in the um, information provided to you? And I know, Mr. Ostrowski, that you indicated that there should have been more transparency. Um, but on the notification to you, the um, backup uh, for uh, the uh, arrangements uh, for the funerals, the um, notification to um, every family person possible. Uh, were there shortfalls? And then is there anything, again, as a, uh, this is so bipartisan, uh, whatever we can do to address it? And beginning with Mr. Vienna. Mr. Vienna, you have to unmute. You're still muted, sir. Hello? Good to go. Okay, thank you. Um, I apologize. I'm pressing over and over again the, the mute button, unmute button, and it's just not working well for me. Um, uh, in regard, I'm, I'm trying to understand the question in regards to our notification and funeral arrangements and, and those kind of things. They go directly to some of the issues that we did have um, with our with our CACO situation. Um, for example, our we had planned the funeral um, for a Saturday. We were told his, his body would arrive four days prior to that from Dover. Didn't come until the un, until that day. So we had last minute, had to change our funeral plans, move them back a day. And we had 650 people at this ceremony. 
Um, it was extremely difficult. Also, they could not seem to coordinate flights to try to make the memorial in San Diego. Um, and we were, in the end, it was, we were going to miss it. There was just no way because it was also the same day that our son's body was supposed to be arriving now from Dover that evening. And the first was the exact, is the next morning. It, it was chaotic. And we ended up having a, um, there was someone with money here in, in our community that heard about it and ended up flying us there on his private jet um, in order to get to San Diego, attend the, the memorial of all nine boys, which I'm so glad we didn't miss. And then, then go to San Francisco airport to our son and, and have that um, procession um, ceremony. We didn't get him to the funeral um, home until midnight. And the next very next morning we had to do the funeral. So it was very rushed. Um, and it was due to a, a, an aptitude in being able to get these schedules squared away for us. So I believe that's what the question was. I, I don't want to go on a tangent about these issues. Um, I want to get to you know, fixing what happens so that other families don't have to Mr. Vienna, thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Courtney, your excuse me, Mr. Wilson, your time has expired. <clears throat> but I, as as uh, I conclude, I'd like these, to thank Mr. Vienna. That was specific, and we need to address those. Thank you, and I feel back. Uh, these questions that we've received from the members and the responses indicate that there's a series of issues that um, need to be dealt with with regard to family notification. Uh, and we will get into those in detail. We're going to now turn to uh, Ms. Spear, uh, who actually heads up the personnel subcommittee. And this particular uh, problem is an issue that uh, I know she wants to deal with. So, Ms. Spear, if you would. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and to Ranking Member uh, Lamborn. Um, let me just say to you, Mr. Vienna and Mr. Ostrovsky, we've had extensive conversations. Um, your testimony today um, it shows the palpable pain um, that you have um, endured. And uh, I agree with you. We can no longer use the term mishap. I don't care if it's been the term used uh, historically. Uh, it is offensive to the families who lose their children uh, because of either dereliction of duty or gross negligence or because it's an accident. It is, in fact, not a mishap. Um, and to your point, um, Mr. Vienna, you know that we have made some changes. The Ferris Doctrine is not law. It is a Supreme Court decision on which we have relied on. We should do more than we have done, although we have uh, provided uh, over the course of 10 years $400 million to deal with claims by service members who are victims of medical malpractice at medical facilities. Uh, I think we need to expand that uh, to deal with gross negligence uh, in situations like this, and we'll have to discuss this as part of the NDAA. Uh, there's a hefty price tag that comes with it, of course, um, but the lives that are lost are real lives. So, um, I want to thank you both for your extraordinary testimony. 
um, we are not going to rest until uh, people are held accountable and that we can make uh, sure that this kind of uh, conduct is not tolerated because it was conduct at the highest levels that allowed these AAVs um, to be deployed. Uh, Mr. Ostrowski, uh, I would just like to give you the floor to add any other uh, recommendations that you would like to make sure that we uh, deal with as it relates to these casualty officers and their interactions with the families. Um, my uh, comment with regard to transparency uh, relates to the fact that when the press release uh, came out that the uh, new commander was relieved, uh, which was the day before uh, we received our briefing on the results of the investigation, that press release mentioned that administrative and other action was taken against uh, uh, 10 others in um, that were found to have some kind of responsibility, yet um, it didn't tell us what kind of action was taken. So, you know, when you use that term administrative action uh, without any uh, detail, it makes you wonder uh, what's the real action. And I understand that you can't name names, the Privacy Act. I was a federal employee myself for quite some time, so I'm familiar with that. But at least I think it would be helpful to the families to know the type of administrative action that was taken, because it could be any, anywhere from a day off without pay to months off without pay or a reduction of rank or, or whatever. So I, I think it'd be helpful in the future to have uh, some more detail as to the type of action without naming names. Thank you, Mr. Ostrowski. Um, I think it's also important for us to appreciate that when um, persons are ostensibly fired, they're not really fired as we think of it in civilian society. They're transferred. And I think we have to take a hard look at whether or not we want people in leadership in some other unit who have uh, made the decisions they made in circumstances like this. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you very much, Ms. Spear. The uh, gavel order is as follows. Uh, Mr. Bergman, Ms. Slotkin, Mr. Johnson, uh, and then uh, it would be Mr. Levin. Mr. Bergman. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, you notice I'm flying the, uh, the marine colors behind me here. It's an, It's a small way to to express my feelings of, uh, of your loss. There is no good casualty officer calls in my time in command. Um, we did too many of them, but I can, uh, I can just say to you, I don't care what side of the aisle our members are on in this committee. Uh, we will take an attitude of, of holding everyone accountable, including ourselves. There's no, there's no free passes here, and there is no excuse for bypassing safety when it's in a training environment. And I'll just end it with that because that's what I believe, and I know many of my colleagues here on the committee believe the same thing. Um, we will do everything that we can to ensure that this does not happen again. With that, I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Bergman. You always remind me not to uh, mention your past service in the military, so I won't do that, but um, you certainly understand. Uh, Ms. Slotkin. 
good morning, um, everyone. Uh, you know, unlike some of my peers, this is the first time I've actually been in a hearing where we've heard from parents um, of, uh, of folks who have been lost. Um, and um, I have a stepdaughter in the Army, so your testimony was extremely uh, relatable and powerful, and I'm so, so sorry for your loss. Um, I guess my question is on the accountability side, maybe, maybe starting with um, Mr. Ostrovsky, what was the official reason the Navy, I'm sorry, the Marines said to you in this, this large report that you both received for the reason why uh, the, the craft was allowed out when not being certified for seaworthiness? What was the official answer to that? Um, I think, as I recall, and if I recall the uh, details of the report, is just that uh, it was a matter of, of assignment of, of the equipment. It was uh, assignment of equipment in poor condition equipment that was uh, deadlined. You know, the other side of it is uh, the lack of, of training, not, not even initiating the appropriate relevant training is, uh, is the cause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that, I, I would say that I, I just one thing to say is that, you know, when you look at gross negligence and recklessness by a military officer, there's nowhere in a military manual or training that conducts recklessness or gross negligence. And I would say that when somebody behaves in that fashion, they are outside of the scope of their duties and they should bear that responsibility or that liability for being outside of the scope of their duties. Now, whether uh, the U S military wants to somehow indemnify them or take that liability on, but that liability exists. They are outside of the scope of their duties uh, there's no way that, that it can be said, especially in a training environment, that that kind of behavior is acceptable. And I'm sure there's many military officers that would echo what I'm saying and, and saying that it's not to be tolerated. It is substandard. Yeah, Mr. Chairman, I would just say that's something I, I know I personally don't know enough about, but I think might be worthwhile looking at is sort of the responsibilities of someone when they're acting outside the scope of their responsibilities. I, I, I know it's a topic we talk about on other issues, but um, I certainly would be, would be interested. Um, and Mr. Vienna, you know, you said that you were here because you wanted to make sure this didn't happen to other families. And I appreciate that. Um, can you tell me what uh, the Marines said to you about what they were going to do to make sure such mistakes don't happen in the future? What did they give any sort of positive action they were going to take? And just remember to unmute. Mr. Vienna, you're still muted. There you go. Okay. I, I don't know what the problem is. There. Uh, you've remuted yourself, Mr. Vienna. There you go. Okay. Are we good? Yes. Okay. Apologies. It, no it's not. Uh, okay. Unfor- unfortunately, has muted you again. Oh, then it unmutes. I, if the tech team can please help Mr. Vienna out, this feels unnecessary. Um, yeah, I, I see it flipping back and forth. Try it one yeah, more I'm time, sir. It looks like I'm unmuted now. I don't want to hit it again. Am I unmuted or muted? You're unmuted. You're unmuted. Okay. Yeah, there's something wrong with that. It's not me. Um, so, um, 
in in talking about some of the, the exact issues, one thing that that they had pointed out was they were no longer going to have the um, AAV commanders making decisions to to splash. Um, that that should come from a platoon commander or a AAV platoon commander higher up. You know, some very specific things that that we're gonna that we're going to change. Uh, safety boats would now be absolutely in the water, things like that. Um, but what's disheartening to me is there was an article that came out by retired Colonel Walt Yates. Um, he just retired about a year ago, and we I spoke with him about a half yesterday, and he alerted us that on August 2017, there was a similar mishap. Um, well, not a similar mishap. It was a helicopter accident um, uh, where it crashed off the side of, a, of one of the ships, fell into the water. And the reasons given for the three deaths in that investigation was lack of training, lack of egress training. That's in 2017. Um, those parents were the same thing we're going through. They were told that their sons or daughters um would have survived had they only gotten the proper training. We now are three years, four years later, and we're still in the exact same position that we were before. And what it boils down to, and the reason why this really goes all the way up to the top, is that where that comes from is really money. It's budget acquisitions. It's the people up at the very top, and I'm talking about at the assistant commandant level, that decides what doesn't doesn't make the budget. What em- ends up happening is lethality is chosen for safety. Yes. Mr. Vienna, excuse me. I'm going to have to take uh, a little bit of control of this. We're now nearly uh, 50 minutes into the two hours that we have available uh, for our hearing. Uh, and I know that there are at least five more members of the committee that would like to ask questions. I would uh, ask my committee members and others uh, to not seek the same answer again. The questions uh, that Ms. Lotkin, you asked, we want to specifically ask, as Mr. Vienna just said, the assistant commandant, that question. Why, after all of these years, after all of these accidents, we still, the Marine Corps is still not properly training its men and women. So, uh, Ms. Lotkin, your time has expired. Mr. Pirana, thank you very much for your comments. Uh, I am instructed that uh, all members have the opportunity to ask questions. If the question has already been asked, uh, then please move on to another question. The, or- the gavel order is Mr. Goldwyn, Mr. Moore, Ms. Strickland, Mr. Moulton, Mr. Levin. And I will assiduously follow the t- five-minute clock and interrupt as necessary. So thank you very much, Mr. Golden. Mr. Golden, you're on. Mr. Golden, we'll come We'll come back to you, Mr. Golden. Uh, Mr. Moore. Mr. Moore, you're up. Hello, Mr. Moore. We'll return to most of Mr. Golden and Mr. Moore. Uh, should they come back on, Ms. Strickland, it's your five minutes. 
Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, to Mr. Vienna and Mr. Ostrovsky, I just want to express my deepest sympathies. And there is nothing like losing a child, especially when they have signed up to serve our country. So I'm very sorry for your loss. Um, there was something that um, Ms. Spear said earlier that really struck me, and it's the way we use the term mishap. And, you know, as we talk about moving forward, I want to make sure that we take a look at the term mishap because to me it trivializes what has happened to these young people. Um, with that said, um, very briefly, I have a question for um, each of the gentlemen who just testified. There are a lot of things that we need to do better. Accountability, investing in equipment, keeping it up to date. But if there was one thing that we could do as far as legislation goes or make an investment, what would you like to see us do to help give you some solace and rectify this issue so that other families don't suffer. Mr. Vienna. Am I unmuted? I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, I would say carve out something within the Ferris doctrine that doesn't allow gross negligence. When, when in a situation like this, where there was as many issues as there were, you can't call it anything other than gross negligence. And, um, when when it reaches that level, you don't want to have, you know, these little lawsuits here and there for frivolous things. I understand that. But in a situation like this, there needs to be accountability. And without accountability, this is just going to continue. Um, and we'll be watching in three or four years another hearing about lack of training and shoddy equipment and all these things. It'll just it's just going to recycle itself. Thank you, sir. Mr. Ostrowski? Yes, I would uh, seem to agree with Mr. Vienna. I, I think the importance of modernizing uh, the system of, of accountability and liability is that on the front end, military officers will comport themselves appropriately if they know on the back end, if they do something outside of their scope, they will be held liable. So it's really all about the front end uh, so that this never happens again. We don't find ourselves in these situations. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. And again, my deepest sympathies. Mr. Chair, I yield back. Thank you, Ms. Strickland. Uh, the gavel order has uh, been modified a, a little bit here. So if the uh, members would, uh, here is the new order. Mr. Johnson, Mr. Kalehi, Mr. Moulton, Mr. Levin. Mr. Johnson, you're up. My apologies for skipping over you a moment ago. So, Mr. Johnson. That's fine. That's fine, Mr. Chairman. I'm going to yield to allow more time so we get move on with it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Mr. Kalehi, please unmute, Mr. Kalehi. You're right. Same here, Mr. Chair. Thank you so much. Hello from Hawaii. And I'll... I'm afraid you just remuted, remuted yourself. You're good. Thank, thank you, Mr. Chair. Law from Hawaii, and I, I just want to thank uh, both um, testifiers today for your powerful testimony. But I will yield my time to the others that I know have uh, um, questions uh, that they have. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Kalei. Mr. Moulton. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen, I can't imagine your loss, and I'm deeply affected by your testimony here this morning. I know it's not easy, so thank you very much for coming and sharing it with the committee. As a Marine veteran of 1st Battalion, 4th Marines, this is 
uh, a situation that I know well. I spent a lot of time in a Navy, uh, including in waterborne operations. That's how we got into Baghdad in 2003. And I can tell you we sat on the roof because we were afraid it would sink. So there's a lot of work here to do. And as a Marine veteran, as a veteran of AAV operations and of new operations, uh, we're gonna, I can promise you that I'll do everything I can to get to the bottom of it. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Moulton. Uh, indeed, we will lean on you uh, for your expertise and experience as we uh, deal with these issues. Uh, Mr. Levin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, members of the subcommittee, for allowing me to wave on. I, I also wanted to say thank you to Mr. Bienna and Mr. Ostrovsky just for being here today under these incredibly difficult circumstances. Thanks for being here on behalf of your sons, your families, and the other families who are suffering in the aftermath of this tragedy. It's incredible to see your strength on behalf of your sons as you tell their story and as you work to affect change so that no parent has to go through your experience in the future. I'm here today because I proudly represent the service members and their families at Camp Pendleton. If you've ever been to our region, to North County, San Diego, or to South Orange County, you know how much the base and the men and the women who serve there mean to our region. Our Marines and sailors define us. They define our communities. They come from all across our country to answer the call of service and to protect our nation, our values, and our way of life. And the fact that they do it right down the street, that makes us incredibly proud. Uh, many service members, as you also know, stay in our area when they transition back to civilian life and they make our communities stronger. And it makes me incredibly sad hearing about your sons and reading about the other Marines we lost to think about the pillars of the community that they would have been. And I know our communities would have wanted to have them stay here in San Diego. So I am so sorry for your losses. Your sons were inspirations. Their legacies continue to be. And with that in mind, I know that my colleagues uh, and myself included, we're going to do all we can to uncover the facts of this tragedy to ensure it's not repeated. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Levin. I want to uh, give a very special thank you to our two witnesses today. These are two of the nine families that have lost their, their uh, sons in this accident. And so for the Balateri family, the Barranco family, the Bath family, uh, the uh, Perez family, the Rod family, the Sweetwood family, and the Villa Juanera family, our sympathy goes out to you. Our prayers go out to all of the families who have suffered so much. The testimony we've received today gives us the direction and the desire to get at this problem. There is clearly a safety culture issue within the Marine Corps. And unfortunately, we also find it in other services. Uh, with this committee will work diligently with uh, the other subcommittees to address the issues that have been raised here. Uh, the issues of notification when there is a loss, uh, the issues of uh, responsibility uh, as uh, been highlighted here several times. Uh, and we are now going to recess this panel and we will take a five minute break and we will bring the uh, Marine Corps Assistant Commandant uh, to join us and the Navy Sea and the Navy uh, Admirals to join us in the second. So with that, uh, this panel is 
recessed. We will return in about five minutes. And so if the membership would stand by as we uh, change out here. Thank you very much once again to our two witnesses, Peter uh, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Vienna. Thank you so very much for joining us. With that, uh, we are in recess. That'll do it on a Monday. Um, pretty interesting comments uh, from two families that represent nine that have been shattered by this event that was entirely preventable. Entirely preventable. Right? And um, as I said at the open of this, I would encourage you to listen to the interview I did with Walt Yates. It'll be in this post. So it won't be hard to find. Um, and so listen to it and you'll see that, that recommendations relative to water survival training were made after an Osprey crash and were sidetracked by people at headquarters Marine Corps. And the issue is money to build more helo dunkers to staff them so they can be run and you, the divisions can have the throughput that they need to make this kind of training safe, the Marine Corps did not want to do. So, thanks for listening on a Monday. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Uh, tomorrow you'll hear from... Uh, two generals and an admiral, two Marine Corps generals and an admiral, General Thomas, who's the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps, General Olson, who's the director of the Marine Corps staff, and then uh, a Navy admiral, who's the commander of Naval Surface Forces, Vice Admiral, which makes him a three-star, Roy Kitchener. So you'll hear from them as they answer questions from this subcommittee. And then on Wednesday, we'll have a, we'll have a uh, discussion about what exactly is the problem. Okay? Do you believe, with the Mensa brothers, do you believe that the problem is this issue of ground safety? Or is there another problem? Okay. So, have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. If I can help you do that. Um, Go to posttraumaticwinning.com. The contact info comes to me. And uh, same thing, uh, contact info at allmarineradio.com comes to me. And if I can help you help somebody, um, let me know. So on a Monday, I'm out. Have a great one.